I, I, I can read okay. Yeah. So, I'll spend some time responding to some of these questions. <coughs> I try to bear in mind that one person's question may not be of interest to anybody else. <laughs> but so, um, bear that in mind. But um, so, like you know, little pieces might be just something I could write a note for, you know. But so, so I, most of these are um, something that we can, I think, all consider, or most of us consider. So here, wondering about the connection, distinction between contemplation of body parts, such as a bag of grain, bits and pieces inside a skin bag. Um, that's what that refers to. So this is blood, this is sinews, this is marrow, this is liver. And just like looking into a bag and seeing this stuff. The practice, and so the distinction connection between that and the practice of qigong, in which we emphasize experiencing the body as a whole field immersed in space. These two sides are the same coin. Emptiness is only form, form is only emptiness. How does each practice deepen our understanding of anatta? Well, so contemplation of body parts, you're really contemplating flesh. As, as objects and uh, <coughs> you know, the, so you're contemplating this aspect of, of the body <coughs> Qigong you're more experiencing <coughs> energy which is not a body part not a material thing it's a subtle subtle material very subtle form mm. Mm. so they're quite distinct Just like seeing is quite distinct from the the physical jelly of the eye. Mm. And Qigong is coming closer to the body as a subject. The body is really presenting and experiencing something and you're detecting it. Whereas the contemplation of the body parts, the body could be dead, you know, it's just... It's not speaking. You're looking at it as an object. So they're very, so they're quite distinct. Um, they're both as an atta in that you look at the body as an object. There it is. Yeah. So where, where where's the self in that? Who does that belong to? The sense of selfhood tends to orient around particular perceptions of the body, you know, familiarity. Qigong, mm. <coughs> mm, so it's, it's not uh, really anything that you, you kind of experience fully then clearly um, the experience is different from that which experiences it. Uh, 
Mm. So which is yourself? Mm. Qigong does affect, in a different way, it affects the whole uh, way that we experience things because it tends to uh, amplify the body as an organ of perception. The body, be, this this embodied ex- becomes a uh, an organ of perception, which it feels and senses immaterial, what we call immaterial experience, much more fully, such as degrees of uh, refined or subtle emotional, such as openness. Uh, I don't, um, groundedness, um, spaciousness, um, connectedness. Um, so these are barely emotions, but you know, you're trying to find an English word that covers all these, these are energies, but they, have a, they do have a certain effect on, on the, the emotion, which is it tends to feel calmed and steadied, you know, and, and because the energy, so it gives you an understanding of an energy and emotion are really connected to each other. Mm. <coughs> Find I skip over a feeling or an emotion and find it difficult to locate. Maybe finding only by backtracking from thinking. Could you talk more about the connection between feeling, emotion, and energy in the body? Well, I guess you have to know where to look, really. But if you, so you know, if you experience strong emotions, you'll probably certainly experience in your body, such as anger. Um, you feel that, but you know that energy, um, uh, warmth. You know, it's gratitude, affection, you feel that kind of warming effect in the body. Depression, you feel it's sinking. Oppressed grief, you'll feel that in your body. It's kind of everything collapsing, um, incoherence. So those are, those are strong, more powerful emotional qualities. Um, uh, and obviously, you know, um, other aspects are subtler. So with thinking, when your mind is thinking a lot, the the way you you contemplate the the energy of it, the emotion of it, is you try to just get the whole thought process and what does this feel like? So thinking doesn't feel, but we can feel the effect of thinking. So it's like just shifting your your lens, your, your apparatus of detection to what's this doing? Not what it's saying, but what's it doing. I'm affect. How am I affected by that? Generally, we're thinking. There's a very pretty moving along quite fast, so it's generally very busy. And in that busyness, again, you don't really quite get the emotion. This is why people could, uh, you know, not realise their the the emotional content. Um, the thinking. Why it's, it tends to fascinate us with the topics of the thought and the logic and the reasoning. And so we don't really step back and notice the energy of it, which can be quite aggressive or 
relaxed or panicky or compulsive or just whittling away restless, skeptic, doubt, restlessness and worry. Um, but it comes up with you know ideas that seem interesting, so your attention keeps going to the topics. If you step back, say just what is all that topic that you've just been going through, if you get the one word that covers that whole experience, it might be uh, restless or doubt or worry or busy or trying to find something, trying to find certainty, trying to find a place. What's that? That's called doubt. So a lot of thinking is just doubt, trying to find mind trying to find a place to land and creating a place with thought for it to land in it kind of creates a realm an energy a dimension a, a, a construction to land in to feel embedded in but of course thought is so gossamer like it just you can't land in it so it just says keep spinning more uh, so we cont- just contemplate the uh, the one word to sum up a train of thought. How's it feel? Probably feels stressful, or exciting, fascinating. Then you're getting closer to the emotion. And um, how's this feel in the body? You must. You'll only really know that when you know the body as a, as a subjective organ, rather than as a. If you're trying to find it in your fingernails or your ears. It's not not a physical thing, it's an energetic, nervous thing. Um, so you're looking into much more the whole whole form of the whole body, the sense of having a body. Do you, does the, do you feel like there's a lot of energy towards the top of your body or lower your knees, your feet? Probably not. Guts, maybe heart, sides of the neck, throat, temples, forehead, somewhere around there. And so... You know, then you can feel those en- those areas being energized and activated. Mm. And it's having that effect. Mm. In more detail, the experience of embodied presence had to deepen into it, and the role of the breath in the experience and deepening of embodied presence. Well. Presence, the very word means embodied. What else is present? What does present mean? Hmm? What else is present? What's the sense of being present as an experience? That's embodiment. Um, so, you know, we have, if you go to how you're feeling, well, then that's going to be heart. And that's, there's a particular energy of, of how you're feeling, that's a heart sense. What's, what's affecting you, your relationship to things, that's heart. Uh, it does that. But where are you? That's, that's the body, that's embodiment. Where are you now? 
And uh, so heart is how are you? And head is what are you going to do about it all? Mm. Generally, people spend a lot of time in what am I going to do about it? Um, Not much time in where am I? Uh, So dominant experience people can be disembodied. Actually, in a world of future, past, what I'm going to do, and so that, so that's that's disembodied. It's because uh, it isn't anywhere. <laughs> it doesn't concern itself where where you are. It concerns yourself what, with what to do. Where are you? Mm. So you keep touching into that. And then that sense of presence. How is that known, experienced? Is it firm? Is it shaky? Is it waver? Is it tight? Is it loose? Is it agreeable, disagreeable? Uh, It's slower much slower tuning into the embodied sense. It's a slow coming into focus. So you have to, often people have to quest, ask simple questions about where, where am I? How does it feel to be here? And safe? The first, uh, <coughs> so just consider again when we come into birth, right? Coming into birth is coming to an embodiment, but it's a very tiny body. And it begins to sense itself in a womb as I'm in, you know, non verbally being fed something around this vague sense of presence and uh, the embryo the fetus definitely is aware you know they do things they put probes in and the fetus can know what's happening and feel alarmed feels the chemicals of the mother so it definitely affects it but it's not thinking Um, but it's very much sensing safety or not because that's absolutely necessary, otherwise there's no life. That's his first sign, safe, not safe. So, you know, and so that's our very first ground level of embodiment, here, safe. Here, safe, received. Don't have to work for it. Here, safe, received. That's that's a subtle sense, but it's an important sense to touch into because as you come into the sense consciousness and differentiation and being an individual, it's no longer so safe. And it gets less safe as you grow up. Less guaranteed safe. You've got to negotiate for it. You've got to defend, and you've got to 
Yeah. So this is the beginning of something more disembodied because your mind starts calculating how to make sure that I'll be okay. So there's a progressive disembodiment into what's going to, you know, make it okay for me in the future, in the past, with him, with her, with them, and so on. So it gets very, very, and it's still trying to solve the same question, safe, but you can't get safe in your head through, through a thought. You can, you can figure out what you would do to get safe, you know, find some place, get everything sorted out, but you won't feel safe. It's a different experience. It will tell you how to, you know, and you do it and you still won't feel safe, really safe, because you did it. And real safety isn't something you do, it's something that's a given. If you're going to do it, that itself is already a, a kind of a, how do you hold yourself up? <laughs> yeah. Safety is the sense of it is safe, not I have to make it safe, really. So often, the, you know, one of the most helpful, well, I find most helpful in body practices is you come down, if you like, down or you deconstruct some of the thoughts or just keep asking where's the ground where I'm totally, where safety is not deserved, not earned not negotiated for, not because I am something, but before all that. Yeah, and you know, that can take some time just to deepen a long time, touching into some primary intelligence of I'm here. There's no reason for it. Yeah, there's no predicate. Yeah. So that's a really important piece to touch because there aren't really f the very fundamental level of the organization of the psyche. Of By psyche, I mean the sense of being something. <laughs> yeah, I'm not talking about psychic powers. And psyche means there's a sense of something knows I am something. Yeah. Uh, whatever, I have boundaries, I, I exist as something. Now that very, there's only two two issues really. One is safety, the other is food. Yeah. And uh, of the of the, those two, safety is more important than food. Food you can wait for, safety you can't. And I wonder how many people feel safe, and how much of the time that's there. Really safe, not nervous, not embarrassed, uh, not feeling they've got to do something, particularly if other people are around. Yeah, and that could be huge, huge issues for people. Why it's so important, yeah, we live within boundary, and you, that chance to touch into that. And that, when, you, when there is that, when you touch into that, then you say, that's, that's where my life is. That's where the life force is. That's what got me here. There's something I can trust because it's not, I haven't created it. I haven't organized it. I haven't earned it. It's a given. Yeah, and then 
So embodiment. Now, you know, I would say even negotiating to that place can be difficult because often as we begin to deconstruct some of our um, thought process, we feel that was what was holding me together, you know. It's like um, somebody saying, I'll say to somebody, you know, if the person saying, well, you know, you're talking about just going to my body, it means it's like I step off the only raft I have, which is my obsessive thoughts. <laughs> That's the only thing I got that <laughs> It tells me who I am. It's just stepping off that into a river, into a flood. Like, <laughs> so, okay, just, okay, take it back. <laughs> Can you stand? Can you feel your feet on the ground? Right, right. And notice the first sense of balance. Now, the balance isn't, you can't figure it. I mean, you could say to somebody, do this, but the balance is something that finds itself, isn't it? When you stand and you what is it that knows that? That's embodied. That's embodied intelligence. Mm, the first sign. So if, if you can't find ground, really ground, just find balance. And as you find balance, that balance itself has got a quality of safety because I'm not stressing and it just can allow the shoulders to rest, perhaps uh, inquiry down into what's, what, what is that as I stand. And lingering in it a long time. Yeah, so it's not just in the feet, but the balanced sense is not, it's everywhere. Otherwise it's not balanced, is it? So you, you relax into balance and everything experiences that sign. And then you begin to experience something we call cohesiveness, means everything is actually listening or in tune or sensing everything else. Otherwise it's not balanced. If your shoulders are locked, you're standing, oh, that doesn't know the balance yet. So just relaxing or breathe or moving into that opening that. How do you open it? You bring awareness to it and it's almost like when you're starting to, to develop embodiment, you know, the balancing sense is a very good way to begin because that is what, it's not a sensation, it's a particular energy and a sensitivity. It, it's, uh, it's an intelligence. Yeah? It's not a thought, it's a different kind of intelligence. That intelligence, yeah, is intelligent. Now if you focus, so you put your awareness into that, and your awareness is, a, is an amplifier. So whatever you bring your awareness to, it will amplify it. So it becomes quite strong and quite grounded. Okay, now with that, can I now widen and include in, in this field of awareness bits of my anatomy or even bits of my mind that are breaking off, that are holding out, that are withdrawing, that are clenching, that are tightening up, that are spinning out. Can I just say you're welcome in here? And like just drawing your awareness so that the balancing sense of it's strong will tend to gradually earth these distracted or locked energies. It's like, uh, you know, if you've got two streams, you've got a big river and a little trickle, the big river will capture the little trickle and sweep it along, right? You know, if the two meet, 
the big river will catch the little trickle and move it along. So you want to get your awareness to be the big, big stream. And then it will capture these other energies and draw them in. Because that intelligence, we say energetic, it's like electric, it's vibrant. Yeah. And it, so it has the power to, to capture. Now, I'm saying power, please don't understand, this is not sort of a volcanic thing, it's a slow process. It's like the warming effect. Mm. And it, but then you stay with it and just trust it and amplify it and find places which don't want to belong to that. They want to hold on. Uh, you know, uh, kind of because we've got a lot of, lot of defense in the body, proof, because we don't live in safe areas. A lot of defense, it doesn't want to let go. So okay, you, you say thank you for defending me, but now there's something else that can take over. Yeah, and just trust it a little bit, trust a little bit, till that that process can complete or continue. This may take weeks, months, days, years. I don't know. And you just you can't force it. You can't force safety on something because that's not safe, is it? You have to just keep the trust and invite your body into that. So in the you can balance. There's another element I call space element, which is a sense of standing here. Again, it's associated with safety around me. Very important when you're standing or when you're sitting. Right now, as I sense through my skin, nothing is impinging on it that I don't want. Nobody's, you know, it is safe, it's open. I can walk into it. I don't have to pay for it. (laughs) I can walk into the space. If it's one inch, I can walk into that. It's always there. Um, So that's another given. And these given qualities are just so tremendous because they they do help the ever-doing mind to just find the something else you can trust and in your own rattling on <laughs> which you don't even like uh, so but then trust again is it isn't doesn't come easy so right in front of me my face my throat my chest it's really open it's safe and bits may know that and the throat may still feel quite defended doesn't want to know that yet so okay then where my back is okay, yeah. So you know, so you're just beginning to get that till you really feel that. It's not, clearly, we can see we can see the space around this form, but that doesn't count. You can feel it. No pressure, no obstruction, no intrusion, nothing to ward off. Yeah. And how many times to- do you feel that? How many times do you really feel that? Probably not as many times as you'd like. But certainly in these occasions, it's a chance to open to that. So then this is embodiment as a healthy experience. Now we are embodied, yeah? It's not some mystical alternative. We are embodied, but a lot of the time it's just so messed up (laughs) that your head is climbing out of it all the time. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, it's so stressed, so shut, so disoriented through, you know, and say, fear, threat, safety, uh, pressure, compulsion, hurry up, shut up, you know, you're not wanted, uh, do this, do that, all that, dung, dung, dung. not safe, not given, not spacious, not grounded, and the body feels that, yeah, and then the compulsion to just, you know, make sure that people like the look of it, God, you know, so all that stuff, so you're nervous about not looking right, so what's that going to do to your embodiment, it's not a safe, comfortable place, you know, so this is, this is a tragic thing really, tragic and uh, you know you see the tenor of life people how many common sight I guess if I walk down a street in England maybe a city street must be 60-70% people walking along looking at screens with earbuds in you know nobody's there sit on a train 80-90% people in their telly world somewhere else because it's just too miserable being here. (laughs) (laughs) So you go out, you know. So we talk about sense restraint. It's not just, um, you know, don't smoke dope. It's like, uh, it's just realize that, you know, we've lived in a world whereby people have not been very restrained. People have, you know, grabbed me, poked me, done nasty things to me, shouted abusive comments at me, looked at me askance. That's not very restrained, is it? So it's not just your own lack of sense restraint, it's other people's that's the problem. <laughs> you know, and the body feels all that, therefore, poor. But if we can come into this, it's a chance to turn it around, to really sense, you know, like a, uh, just to get free of that stuff. And then, then, and the progressive weeks, days, months, years of just gradually cleaning this this body internally, you know, becomes a tremendous uh, source of strength, truth, presence, beauty, ease, refuge. You know, and the Buddha saying, you know, this very body, it's the ending of the world, the beginning and the ending of the world is in this body. The world begins and ends in this body. The beginning of the world is all that injection of worldliness, worldly dhammas, but then it can end, it can be cleaned out. So this is, you know, this is where, you know, this is, this is peaceful. The ending of, of that world world stuff going into you. Now in due course of process, it's it's certainly you know the breathing is is of course the life force, and um, it's the body's life force, and it's always regenerating, refreshing us. Mm, it's a gift. It's a given. Mm. And it, it's 
It is the quality, the energy of breathing out is the quality that spreads through the entire energetic form. So it's not a matter of nose and lungs, nose and lung job. Um, It's really an, uh, what is it that gets breathing going? You know, what is it that switches it on, that pulls it in and releases it? It may be affects the, the nose, the lungs, but it affects lots of things. It affects the belly, affects the skin, affects the heart, affects lots of bits and thin pieces. In fact, the more you, you contemplate it, it affects everything because it's an energy. And like, you know, if it didn't affect everything, most of your body would be dead, wouldn't it? <laughs> it's only that life force flushing through it that keeps it going. Uh, but to, to detect it, maybe take some time. You know, kind of embodiment, picking up the signs and releasing some of these uh, oppressive qualities. But um, certainly if that comes into play, that will be enormously enriching uh, but one must be careful even saying things like that because you can't you make it happen. It's like a given. Yeah. Increasing purification of body and I'm don't, <coughs> not being moralizing and saying that the body is freed from anxiety, stress, fear, uh, compulsiveness, the nerves are soothed. But as that comes into play, then the breathing becomes more apparent and that will enormously um, uh, amplify uh, the, the benefits. You know. and this was the Buddha's vehicle for awakening. Because he tried disembodiment for years, going out into these disembodied spaces. He got good at it, but he said, you always come back to this in the end. So what about being in this? And then this is what led to his his uh, absorption. Because uh, you know, meditation is not an idea. It's not enlightenment. It's not an idea. It's a felt reality, and it's here, and that means experienced in the body. Mm. It's lovely expression. Occasionally use one touches the deathless with one's body, <laughs> and you kind of put a phrase like that, and you go, "What the hell? What? The what? <laughs> what is that?" <laughs> it doesn't explain it; it just says it. Uh, well, you know, you, then you start to think, "Oh, well, what about when you say, you know, he's a pain in the neck, neck?" Yeah. Gut knowledge. Yeah. I feel it in my heart. I've really got a handle on what you're saying. Come to grips with things. Get off my back. <laughs> what are we talking? Why do we use language like that? Because we something knows we're embodied. <laughs> so this is the all, all these things um, bear fruit in that. 
a question here about <clears throat> do you find a permissive quotes style of, t- of teaching hey <laughs> what have you been listening to <laughs> a permissive style of teaching is more conducive for the awakening of the western mind as opposed to quotes make no make no haste look see your house is on fire is this ever useful does your teaching style reflect any aspect of your own evolution and awakening? Could you speak to that? Mm. Uh, yeah, well. Uh, mm. Minds are different, minds are varied, but over, over time, um, I've just noticed how um, driven most people are, and the, they're always making haste. And you know, their life is about making haste <laughs> and rushing around. So, you know, and they're often stressed out through it. So everything is is compacted, and there isn't any or isn't adequate uh, receptivity to really receive effects because people mind is rushing on. So in Buddha Dhamma, we have primary meditation is vitaka placing attention on something, vichara, sampling it. You know, how's that? How's that feel? And, you know, for many people, it's just the how's it feel doesn't happen. It's just this and then this and then this and then this. So this finger of attention becomes like... (laughs) And and so make haste, it's just going to move it faster. So it doesn't actually receive anything anymore. It just rushes on and all it just gets entrained and, and um, acclimated to, to, to speed as, as a mode of that's supposed to be better. Faster the better. Yeah. And the work thing. Now, you know, I guess for, you know, probably for most of you, you know, work is is a major influence of your life. You're probably 50 years of it. and But really, 50 years of getting some pay, but you probably start work when you're six or five. <laughs> you know, get down, do this, get the results, get the grades, hurry up, you know, get the... <laughs> so, and that's going like five, six days a week, two weeks holiday, three weeks vacation. That's massive influence, isn't it? Yeah, compared with 5th century BC India, do you think they're commuting? (laughs) 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 Rushing to get to the office on time? I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) there's different uh, ethos. So often in the, the, uh, you know, they didn't even have clocks. Mm -hmm. Time. Moon, sun, dawn, sunset. It's a very different rhythm. And uh, and there's something that's so kind of like another day, sunrise, sunset, moon, sun, turning of the world, earth. You know, rice grows. Uh, the saying in Laos, sit and listen to the rice grow. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty laid back, yeah. 
So a certain sense of, come on, keep going, uh, urgency could be considered a helpful um, thing. And yeah, we must be purposeful, certainly. But when your purpose is to unbind Nibbana, you have to unbind what's compulsive. If your compulsion is activity, do, 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 then more activity is like you don't, you don't drain a swamp by digging a ditch in it. It just gives you more stuff to get flooded by. So therefore one should say just pausing, slowing. I don't know if that's what's meant by allowing, permissive. Uh, there's so much of that compulsion, also so much of the performance and self-consciousness, which is always, um, you know, anxiety and a certain, I say, censorship, because I'm probably not quite right, and that's not quite right because it's not good enough, and there's a standard that I should be at that I'm not at. So there's a lot of that blocking of experience, and as we know, emotions are not. You know, they are, they're still just what they are. They're not come on nicely at 8 o'clock and switch off at 8.30 and go operate at this time. And They're regular. So we want to cut those down because they don't fit your work ethic. Don't get an emotion while, you, while you're trying to be in the office. So <coughs> shut that one down. So there's a lot of that blocking that becomes, um, you know, or only have this emotion, let's all be cheerful. You know, because that's okay. The rest of it doesn't exist. <laughs> Courage, cheerfulness, that's okay. rest of it doesn't exist. Not okay. Something wrong with you. So if you get those kind of programs, then you have to start to allow. Allow. These, em- these emotions slow down, open up, feel wacky, feel horrible, feel miserable, feel nasty. <laughs> <laughs> Ventilate, you know. Doesn't mean we're kind of acting on it. Certainly so the per- permissiveness is not a permission that breaks the boundary of sila or res- respect, but it's allowing you to feel what you feel because you're feeling it. That's it. And through that one gains a, a, a better holding of emotion and feeling than if you're gripping it too hard. You hold it much better if you've got a bit wider space. It's not not holding it. You know, it is holding it. It's holding it in a much wider space. There has to be some permission to feel what's being felt and then contemplate. How is that? What's happening? How can I bear with that? Can I be with that? And these things sometimes just have to be let express themselves and flow through. And it's like an emetic, just throwing it, letting it roll out. And a cleansing can occur with that. Mm. It does not condone action. Absolutely. Yeah. So, myself, you don't even realize that you're shutting things down. It's don't even know it, really. 
You don't know what you don't know. And one tends to remain in the known and um, certainly got the ideas, do this, practice, meditate, calm down, focus, focus on this point, do this, yeah, I'm okay, do this, a struggle, but try and work on it. Um, and then the sense of just kind of negatively push it aside, come on, rise up, put that down, come on, rise up, don't worry about that, just rise up, <laughs> and naturally you want to get rather intense. that process and so t- certainly in my own practice certain things uh, help helped to or I say help but that's what they've done whether it's help or not that's the way it's gone is the more embodied my practice has got the more I've got a sense of the, that energy of Right now, for me in this body, in this state, that energy of getting intense and driving on, it's just stress. Uh, And stress doesn't get to the end of stress. It doesn't know how to. Follow stress, it will take you to stress. (laughs) Whatever you call it. Mm. So, because it doesn't know non-stress, because it's stress. Stress can't you take it in that so so you just just know that no I I don't know, I just can't do that. I had enough, I can't do that anymore. I can't force it anymore. My my mind refuses to do it because <laughs> I've done it so hard for so long and now it's I've had it with that. Uh, and then actually but just coming into embodiment. He says, okay, we're still here, walking, standing, sitting, moving around. And then something else starts to come through, what I call a gift, gift of presence. It does not very impressive. Not really socking it to them, not great stuff, but just, well, this fleece, it feels healthy. And at least it, and it's loving. Ah. Never thought of that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe loving is part of it. Oh, right, that word. Oh, yeah, I'd forgotten all about that. Because it was being focused and sharp and aware and attentive and concentrated. Loving was something you did now and then to people you needed. <laughs> Suitable, but then actually being held in the domain of. Of uh, of love and really getting the feeling of it. It's not sentiment, but uh, pro- protection. You're okay. Um, you're safe. You don't have to be. And ah, oh, that's what. It, and it's something needed that. Uh, you know. So through those openings you know you get to think well this may not I don't know it may not be on the script but that's 
that's what it that's what it needed because he when you get it it, it uh, suffering stops or drops that's what I want I want less of that stress that's what I want yeah there's no no argument it knows that's what I want that's what I need that's what I'm getting I'm doing that and we'll see where it goes and over time it certainly develops a form that has its own qualities of vigor and energy and endeavor and joyful joyful work I feel like yeah I'm feeling good I'll put some stuff out there not because I'm driven just because it's like a enrichment energy gets enriched and then it wants to reach out and do and be but in a kind of playful enjoyable way rather than this harrowed driven <laughs> experience <laughs> so I don't know you know you do you do what I do what I do and it helps stops me suffering that's what I do that's what I teach because that's what I do <laughs> <laughs> I have some confusion around sense restraint. Shouldn't the emphasis be on the quality of the mind's grasping, greed, aversive, rather than the actual sense object? I can look at the lovely red maple by the back door, be touched with gratitude, joy, unless the thought arises that it's sad that the leaves are coming down, soon it'll be winter, etc. which can spin into a whole story about the horrors of winter rather than... (laughs) This is why you want sense restraint. <laughs> but sense restraint does seem to minimize <laughs> the searching, grasping mind, yes. And yet, there's another lovely meal <laughs> to be enjoyed and to elicit gratitude if the grasping is at bay. Well, yeah, go figure. Yeah, there is another lovely meal. How wonderful. Yeah, sensory straight. Clearly, it's it's the um, it's clearly the mind. Yeah, it's not the eyes don't aren't a problem. It's the reaching out, checking things out. The mind like a burglar looking in. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the mind, isn't it? So actually, sense contact can be very helpful in, in when, when the, particularly when the thoughts are running around a lot. Just open, opening your eyes and keeping a kind of just a gentle, steady seeing, seeing can help to anchor the mind because it's not the eye; it's the rushing out. So you can hold a visual object simply and clearly. And it just provides an orientation that steadies things. Similarly, touch, sense of touch, can be very helpful. Just resting your hands on your thighs, your legs, and feeling the 
connection there, the warmth and the simple, what happens at that gentle sense, a gentle touch, very helpful. But it's not like you're clawing or trying to feel something. It's just contact, stable contact, negotiated stable contact is certainly helpful orientation. <coughs> but, um, you know, other qualities that can be infused, are the maples lovely? I think they're quite lovely myself. Probably if you're a dog, you wouldn't really make much of it. Um, the loveliness is clearly something that, you know, is a, is a heart, is a response. And as we know, things of the sense world are born and die. So perception uh-huh, will change. Don't reach out. Don't go out. Mm. I'll just perhaps deal with one or two more. How to relate to states of absorption without craving. It's only the notions of absorption that generate craving, really, because craving always operates around a fantasy of some kind what I should have, what I could have, how nice it would be if I did have. That's craving. Yeah. Um, so y- if you crave for absorption, it's just another kind of craving. Uh, craving for becoming, probably. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. That's craving. Mm. Um. Mm. A different quality can affect absorption, which is something like um, called uh, raga, which is more like not craving so much as a, a sort of like a intoxication with or, or an over delight in. That is, you're being getting like uh, addicted. Certain raga is a certain <coughs> gobbling, so you can be in an absorbed state, just really, uh, you know, f- uh, kind of gobble or got addicted to it. <coughs> and essentially with um, you know all all addictive processes the constant reference point is change and unsatisfactoriness. That is, if you want more then it clearly you're not satisfied. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't more, more. So, and then more, and then more. So that is stress. And if you're really keen on release, there's a time which you probably, if you do experience some of these very pleasant states, yeah, one will get a bit greedy, gobbly. Um, uh, yeah, it's nice, extremely pleasant, uh, and skillful. But over time. Over time, one will have begun to mature a little and reflect on it and get a sense of, yeah, the purpose of this really is to hold the mind steady enough to look into the factors, not just to to, to um, purely enjoy it. Pity flickers is not stable. Um, well... You flick pity, it does flicker, but then that's exactly why 
the mind eventually, and again, this isn't a process you can entirely do, but there's a maturation where you get a little bit blasé about it, not, not so interested in it, then the mind tends to want to just, oh, call back, call out, and so it becomes more ease, sukha. Does one just find oneself in jhana or some kind of intention have to be set? It can be that you drop into it, but most likely um, the, it's, the, it's the natural process of a weaving to go for, a finding a form, you know, weaving together a, a meditation theme, such as mindfulness of breathing, mind is steady on that, and then just the intention to dwell and dwell and dwell with the but kind of motivation, how does this get steadier? What do I, how do I do less with this? Can I just keep skimming off, you know, alternate, uh, um, what is not needed? So the mind simplifies and also can I allow myself to enjoy? So those kinds of intentions I would say are helpful. This is how the absorption process is merged. Mindfulness and samadhi are often taught as separate practices. Well, I think sometimes that's the case. Uh, I think partly because people's understanding of samadhi differs and even what the term means. Some people say, oh, you know, don't go into jhana because you'll get stuck there and you won't, you know, won't do the work of insight. But uh, this is not, not what the Buddha taught. Use the word to meditate in, in the Buddha's language is jayati, which means which is the word from which jhana derives. Jayati is to meditate and jhana, one way of interpreting is meditation. So um, <clears throat> if we use the word absorption, and uh, means you really take something in fully, drink it in, then that sounds like, if it's skillful, that seems like a very healthy thing to do. And at a certain time as that process, then the mind begins to unify. So the jayati process comes into a quality, samadhi derives from that. Now mindfulness is essential, it's called the nimitta of samadhi, the boundaries, the, the defining characteristic of, of mindfulness is that it stabilizes because it creates mindfulness, bear something in mind, stay on topic, hold it, be with it, that's concentration, if you like. It's not not concentration, it means you're staying with, even though what you're saying with itself may be in flux, but the mind is staying on topic. That is the nature of mindfulness, to stay with the theme. Whether your theme is space or metta or breathing or mantra, staying with it, don't get distracted. So it eliminates distractive tendencies. That is a concentration factor. So, you know, seventh factor of path is mindfulness, eighth factor is samadhi. They're clearly, you know, (laughs) linked. (laughs) 
uh, it's probably the uh, dissonance can be around vipassana or wisdom, saying, well, you know, wisdom is actually a quite a active probing process where samadhi is more like a dwelling, easeful, emotive practice, just sitting in ease. You're not doing a lot of investigation. So better not to get too much samadhi because you just sort of sit there for an hour or two having a nice time, but you won't really learn very much. Well, you really want to get that sense of inquiring into it. And that's that's a reasonable um, question or comment to make. Um, but, um, so yeah, it could be the case that people would do that. They just, uh, you know, so, but then samadhi, correct samadhi, does arrive through wisdom, through clearly getting savvy about what one's doing. And, um, you know, as it's said, uh, for the, when the mind is steady, then there's a time to start to question. What does this steadiness depend on? What is occurring now? So samadhi ideally helps to just stabilize the mind at a, at a kind of level of the roots of the mind rather than the diverse topics that you know thoughts impressions this that this that this that process of mindfulness begins to prune all that down and samadhi you've pruned it down to to of course you say the, the root sources of the mind so then if you're inquiring you're inquiring into some very uh root topics you might say like um, presence or passion or agitation or withholding or you know you can you can inquire into those kind of almost energetic processes so that your process of inquiry is is going quite deep it's rather like you know if we look at a tree and um, you know you could go around and pick all the leaves off the tree or you could just cut the tree the trunk and the whole thing comes down so I don't like to talk like that because I don't think trees should be chopped <laughs> but that's as a simile you know you're looking at something whereby the idea is yeah you go to the, the root and therefore a whole lot of stuff can fall off in one go um, but the important thing is that you go through it then you develop that the wisdom at that root level yeah yeah. Uh, I guess the other drawback with um, people who do, who with samadhi is you can perhaps seal yourself off into that into that domain such that you develop get rather obsessive about it, and you kind of you don't maintain mindfulness in other spheres of life. Then, as you kind of just focus on that, and then when you get up and sit, you just kind of don't really um, respond to people or you're not very attuned because you get self-obsessive about it all. That's a, that's a reasonable criticism. And, uh, you yeah. so, mm, we have to know really wisdom is essential, absolutely essential. Mindfulness and samadhi are there to support wisdom. That's essential.
Um, I think I'll pause there for tonight because it's um, we spent an hour. So, and uh, thank you. I hope something's been useful. <laughs>